Why are we talking about the naked truth, relationships, sexuality, dating? Because everyone else is. And if we don't talk about it, then, then what's the whole deal about? Because if I believe that there is a creator, a manufacturer of humans and human sexuality, then surely he would have some profound insights into the way in which sex and sexuality and, and our human condition are supposed to be understood. In fact, the one thing that's just true about this whole area, this whole arena of talking about sexuality, is that the rules have changed. Have you noticed? The rules have changed. I was talking to an older, fairly old, um, able um, sea captain, used to drive super tankers around the world. And he said to me some years ago, Troy, the rules have changed. I said, what did you mean, uh, older man? And he said, well, when I was growing up and I was in the Merchant Navy, uh, there was a code amongst even the sailors. As a sailor, he could even say, and a code amongst the sailors even. He said that the code kind of went like this. You can fool around before you're married, but when you get married, then that's kind of it. That was the, that was the hidden code, if you like. There was amongst our able-bodied seamen. But he said the rules have changed, and they have. In fact, the things in which you would might like to kind of think about what are the frameworks that were operated by even 30, 40 years ago have all been broken up, if you like, and, and everyone has different ideas and different ideologies and different kind of desires when it comes to understanding the way in which sex and sexuality should be Um, if you like, expressed. And I think one of the greatest lies about this, uh, just before we do jump in, I wanted to say three things. No matter where you are on on your continuum today with getting close to God, discovering who Jesus is, uh, maybe it's your first time here, maybe it'll be your last time as a result of what I share this morning, I'd like you to come back, um, is the first thing I want to say is I do not judge you. I'm not here to judge anyone here this morning, but I just want to point you towards what I think God says about this. The second thing I want to say is that contrary to popular advice, there's so much pressure and ideology out there about how you should use your body and sexuality. I want to affirm this. No one, no one can tell you what to do and how to do with your body. I want to say this really clearly. We are responsible for our bodies. That means that you get to exercise your choices over your body. That means that should empower you to say it's actually what you decide and what you frame up and what you choose is actually what you decide. So we are responsible for our own bodies. Last thing I want to say is that there is so much sensitivity required on this topic, yeah? Because uh, I know represented in any room, um, even just raising this topic just heaps shame and guilt and pain. And at the same time, other people like a cruise ship just going straight ahead, like there's been no problem whatsoever, yeah? And so in a room like this, it's just a continuum. And I just, I want to try and approach this with some laughter and, and, and also some seriousness, but be sensitive to your situation as well. One of the biggest lies going out there is this. God is oppressive, regressive, and a killjoy when it comes to sex. Yeah? Expressed in different ways. God, God the manufacturer, if he's a manufacturer, is oppressive, regressive, and a killjoy when it comes to understanding anything about sex and sexuality. He's a killjoy. His whole intent is to actually rob you of anything to do with enjoyment. That's, that's tragedy because what we discovered last week when we looked at the beginning of the book of Genesis, the book of insight into human nature and who God is and the way the world is, uh, it, it says this, then God blessed them. That is, he didn't curse them. He said he blessed those first humans and said, be fruitful and multiply. That's code for have sex. Yeah. And, and so much sex that you fill the earth. Yeah. And, um, and then govern it and reign over it. 
And uh, over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals, I love that bit, that scurry along the ground. And, and, and so there was this wonderful gift, if you like, of sensuality and sexuality that was supposed to be reflected. In fact, we wouldn't be having this conversation if, if human sexuality wasn't about procreation as much as pleasure. I mean, you don't get Adam and Eve in that first bit going, oh, do we have to? <laughs> Again? Oh, you know, none of that. Oh, come on, lighten up, everyone. All right, along the way. <laughs> we don't get that. We get them actually not saying anything like that, but the, the earth gets kind of filled and multiplied along the way. And, and so there's this wonderful, wonderful idea and understanding of sexuality that's actually in the Bible. Some of you right now are going, I have not read the Bible like this before. I actually want to dive in today. In fact, there's more parts you can dive into. I'm so glad for this book in the Bible called The Song of Songs. If you haven't been there before, this is like the erotic love poetry of the Bible. Yes, it is in there. Amazing. There's this, this love stuff. If you are a poet here today, this is your stuff. All right. So let me just read this to you with a little bit of kind of feeling. All right. Because it's, it's in there. You'll have to find it. But if you're really motivated, it won't take you too long. Okay. So this is how it goes. While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet, not a sachet. Bouquet and bucket. Yep. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh. Resting between my breasts, my beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of En Gedi. Wow. <laughs> I've been to En Gedi before. En Gedi's a really good place. I, I just take that last little bit back. I don't know what happened. And then it goes on. <laughs> and it says this. And so this is the male and the female interacting with each other, okay? So this, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes are like doves, says the male. Now, this is good stuff, all right? All right? Maybe not doves because they poo a lot, but in that context. <laughs> how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes are doves. And then she replies, how handsome you are, my beloved. That's, that's good. We like that stuff. Oh, how handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant. You know, and I even had to look up that word verdant. <laughs> it means flourishing and just, uh, okay. And then it goes on and it says, this is in the Bible. Okay, all right. Then it says, strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. My left arm is under my head. Your, his left arm is under my, his left, that would be, woo, his left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Yeah? Everyone exhale. It's got steamy in here. You see, see, there's this wonderful thing about sex and sexuality that's actually part of our understanding of our humanity. In, in fact, there was this wonderful gift, if you like, in the way in which sexuality was supposed to be expressed. Jesus, when he was asked about the nature of marriage and divorce, he actually said these things. He said, it wasn't intended so from the beginning. Because from the beginning, and he refers back to this Genesis stuff, and he says, you know, from the very beginning, it was always supposed to be that a man shall leave his mother and his father, leave physically, and shall be united to his wife, emotionally attached, connected. And the two shall become one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. See, there's this wonderful intimacy that's formed, if you like, about a new kinship that's being formed in relationship, a new family, if you like, a couple, a double. And within that, there is this expression of emotional and spiritual and physical intimacy that's all wrapped up in that package, and that's what he actually refers to. So last week, we learned that we were supposed to, human beings were made in the image of God to actually reflect 
and, and, and represent him on, on the earth. And then they were wired for, for this comradeship, this, if you like, for this community, for this sense of connection. And, and then what we discovered also is the profound disturbance of all of that. When the first human being said, we want to do things our way, it said that Eve saw that the fruit was good, and she saw that it was tasteful, and she, she saw that it could give her this, this, this God-like understanding. And so those three things, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, said was breathed into all humanity the moment in which those first humans said, God, we want to do things our way. Get out of us. We want to rule ourselves, please ourselves, gratify ourselves, serve ourselves, so go away. And so from that moment, if you like, it shattered the human dynamic, what God intended. And soon after that, you read in the pages of the Bible that there is... There was sexual violence that is incurred. Uh, there is family dynamics and relationships that are shattered by sexual expression outside of this intent of this, this marriage kind of union. And, and, and the, the ramifications of that are just enormous. And it just filters through the pages of the Bible. So what was intended for good could also be tended and, if you like, expressed in such a way that it will cause great pain and heartache as well. In fact, throughout the history of the church, we are not very good at this, is that because Jesus was celibate a single male, and Paul, who writes a lot of the letters in the Bible, he was a celibate single male, uh, they elevated celibacy and singleness over and above, if you like, marriage and sexual intimacy and union. And as a result of that, throughout the generations and the centuries, what's happened is that all kind of distortions have emerged if you like, in the name of Jesus, because, if you like, marriage was deemed to be secondary and lower and sexual and sexual expression was deemed to be lower because this celibacy was highlighted. It started off as a good reason, but all over the generations it became and turned into something that was not designed for it to be at all. You know, when it comes to sexuality and human expression in the community, in the wider culture, this is what I want to say, two myths. First myth that's out there is that sex is Physical. Sex is only physical. That is it. Part A into part B, and that is it. Sex is just physical. The second myth that's going around in our community is this, that satisfying sexual desire will make me a happy and a whole person. Let me just read that again, because kind of like, satisfying sexual desire will make me a happy and a whole person. Let me put it another way. One of the myths that's going out there is, if I repress any of my sexual urges, that I am doing damage to my psyche and who I am as human being. And that myth and that is actually out there in, it, in, in our world and it's propagated the idea of you cannot control yourself. In fact, what you need to do is satisfy your urges. The only problem with that myth is that our wanter doesn't always have our best intention at heart. And what we discover along the way is that when we fill our wanter with everything at once, that can lead us miserable as well. There's these two myths. I just want to track with them for a moment. Where do we get these from? They're represented or reflected, if you like, in pop culture. In, in, in our movies that we watch and we, we feed on and we kind of just applaud some different parts and we celebrate other parts of it. Let's say um, this particular one, which is called Pretty Woman. Um, it's, the side tag there is Hooker Got Lucky. Wow. And, and the idea of this is that it, it accentuates the idea that sexuality can be compartmentalized. That is, I can trade and sell sex. I'm not making any comment about the, the prostitute in this particular. I'm just commenting about the compartmentalizing of sex. It can be sold and traded, and yet there's still a Mr. or Mrs. Right along the way that I can actually connect with one day and look for, and everything will change. 
That is, what I do with my body now will have no impact whatsoever on what will happen to my body in the future in impacting upon relationships. The second one is a more recent one, Love Actually. Yeah. In fact, have you noticed if you've watched that, that film, which celebrates a lot of good things about relationships, but the most prudish or the most shy or the most cautious couple in the entire film are the couple who are porn stars. And so they actually are using their bodies in these simulated kind of action things whilst they're actually asking each other on a date and they're drinking cups of tea together and they kind of blush when they kind of, would you like to go out with me? And so they're portrayed in such juxtaposition and contrast that it kind of spins your head around a little bit. The idea, if you like, that, that sex and physical engagement is completely disconnected from, if you like, the real engagement of intimacy and relationship and all those things. The last one is the most recent one and perhaps the most disturbing one because it's actually been celebrated even in junior levels of schools, um, Fifty Shades of Grey. In here, the, the idea of it is that sex has become a commodity. If you like, it's idolized as the, this is kind of fantasy, erotic, um, love, lust, gratifying, that is solely about nothing to do with genuine relationship, but everything to do with gratifying someone's desire. Yeah? Now, what I want to say about this is that whilst some fantasy and, and erotic nature is part of our humanity and our sexuality, I've heard someone say that in every culture, in every culture, where sex is commoditized, you know, it's just a commodity to be bought and sold. And when it is the sole pursuit of what you are seeking to be gratified, when it's idolized as an idol within itself, it's the women and the children in those communities that are often the unwanted victims of other people's desires. You get what I'm saying? is that when sex in itself is actually seen as the most important thing to gratify, it's just about me, 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 me. It's often the women and the children that are the victims within our societies. Wow. And these are just kind of movies that reflect the status quo within what's going on, if you like, in the broader nature of what's shaping our communities. Which leaves us with the rule. You've probably heard it in different ways before. This goes something like this. You can do whatever you want with whomever you want. Tagline, as long as nobody gets hurt. Read that again. The rule is, to governing our bodies and sexuality, is do whatever you want with whomever you want as long as you don't hurt anybody. See, the problem with this, though, is that people do get hurt all the time. Relationships break up. Betrayals occur. Uh, sexuality, even when there's pressured into situations, you go, I didn't really want to be part of that, that, that actually has lasting effects. Do whatever you want with whomever you want as long as you don't hurt anybody. Over the years, I've sat with counsel, talked to, listened to multiple people who go, you know, that was the rule I played by and it hurts because there's something more going on in our sex and sexuality than it's just physical. Well, if I just gratify my urges and my desires, I will be happy. So let me ask you these questions. They're heavy questions. Are you ready for it? Let me ask you these questions. It goes something like this. Why is it? I'm just asking the questions, all right? I'm just getting us to think. Why is there so much pain when there has been a betrayal or a breakup in a relationship? If sex is just part A into part B... If it's just about gratifying my desires, why is it that when there's a betrayal or a breakup, there is hurt, 
that goes on longer than just the, the normal mechanics when sexuality and sexual expression has been involved. Number two, why is pornography so addictive and corrosive within relationships and the way in which we view others? I just want to back up for a moment. I was listening to a, a senior lecturer from the Sydney University this week, uh, senior lecturer in sex and sexual human relations. And uh, she said, our brains are actually wired to bond. She said, there's no such thing as a casual engagement in sexual expression because our, uh, we have a, a limbic part of our brain, the deeper part, and we have the frontal lobe, which is actually our control center. And, and it's the pleasure center is the limbic. And when you actually have sexual engagement with someone, it actually sends a whole bunch of chemicals that the neuropathways are formed. And the, the more you have sexual intimacy with someone else, it bonds and bonds and bonds and bonds and bonds. In fact, we actually have a brain that's made to bond. There's chemicals that are released. I'm fascinated by this. And so she said, that's why in my experience um, over so many years that I find that it's, it's intrinsically, our brains are intrinsically wired to bond with other people. Fascinating. I spoke to an adolescent psychiatrist last year um, about human sexuality and its expression. And he's not coming from a faith perspective, but he said, from his experience, he said, you know what, um, for all the complexities that are going on in adolescence and all the complexities that happen in people's lives and the maturation in that growing stage, he said, I would encourage people to enter into their sexual expression in their early 20s. Wow, isn't that amazing? This is an adolescent psychiatrist in Melbourne practicing here. Uh, but yet our culture says, uh, you're 14, 15, 16 here, here's the keys to the car, go have drive. Oh, you've probably watched some things on TV, you've probably had some discussions and a little bit of sex ed here and then just go, don't hurt anybody. Wow. And he said, the thing that, that strikes me more though, Troy, in this is what's happening in the way in which pornography wires us because it becomes like an addictive thing that with the next pleasure seeking, next pleasure, next pleasure, it gets so hooked that you thought you were in control of it, but it's actually in control of you. And before too long, your whole world revolves around getting the next fix, the next fix, and it distorts people's image of the other so that they're actually reduced to nothing more than reproductive organs to satisfy my soul. That's me adding some words in there, but that's the intent of what he's saying. Oh, wow, wow, that's important stuff to talk about. Third question. Okay, why do children who have been interfered with carry such devastating emotional wounds? Even when there's just been basic touch involved, uh, coming out all the things we're discovering now, you you hear police officers and children's workers saying, we just thought the kids would forget. You know, it's just some touching. We thought they'd keep... No. Why is it? And lastly this, I don't want to belabor this, but why do victims of sexual violence still carry deep wounds long after physical effects have healed? of that abuse. We've got to talk real, don't we? Yeah. Let's breathe for a moment. In other words, these questions challenge, don't they, those assumptions that sex is only physical and to gratify my desire. Me, is if I hold back on any of that stuff, there's something more profoundly, isn't there, going on in our lives and in our our bodies than what's going on there. So this one I say about the truth. (laughs) I want to speak some truth into this moment. Just while we've just got that little heavy moment we're thinking, Sex is not always. Sex is pleasurable, but it's powerful. It's like electricity. It's like a fire. You can warm your hands beside it, but if you get too close, it can burn your skin. So there's this wonderful thing going on, if you like, is that there's this gift that's being given, and we're wired in such a way to enjoy sexual expression, but it's powerful. If you like, it's to be treated with great care and used only as directed by the manufacturer. 
Just like Bron was talking about this morning. So what does God say about all these things? So knowing all the stuff that we've just raised, knowing all the stuff that I've just sort of talked about in the moment here, and I hope you're on your phone, you're texting, you're writing down some questions and, and things like that. I just want to pause for a moment and look at one passage in the Bible that I think talks really clearly for those people who are kind of saying, I want to follow Jesus and I want to kind of live what God's talking about and, and I want to try and embrace that in my life, okay? So this is the part where a big tagline, I do not judge you. But here's what it goes on and says. Knowing all of those things we discussed, Paul writes this to a group of uh, Greek-speaking people um, in a place called Thessalonica, or Thessalonica. And this is what he says. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to behave in order to please God. And in fact, you are living. And, And now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. He's writing to a group of people who have discovered that Jesus is actually, they believe, the king of the world. That when he died on that Roman cross, that he was actually breaking the power of sin and selfishness and this, this, kind of, this, this urge to say, I'll do what I want. I, I, I'll please myself, serve myself, gratify myself. He was breaking that power over their lives. And when he rose from the dead, he was a, a releasing into the world a new beginning so that anyone who actually knows him gets wrapped up in God's eternity and relationship with him. And if you like, they ask, therefore, a profound question that's very different to any other question a non-God follower would ask. They ask this question, God, what would you like me to do with my body that you've given me? God, how do I please you with my behavior, with my body and all of it? Because you love it so much, you want to raise it to new life. So how do you want me to use my body? They're not asking that question because they're not sure where they stand in relationship with God. They're asking that question because they're so grateful for what he's done for them. And so they come back and they say, God, how do you want me to use this body of mine right now? So that they ask fundamentally a different question. And he goes on and he says this. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. We'll come back. That you should be kept, keep away from fornication. That each of you should learn how to control your own body in the way that is holy and honorable. Let's just pause here for a moment. Big word, sanctified. This has got not so much to do with being morally upright and pure in every squeaky clean sense. But this word has got to do with reflecting the way our bodies were made to operate. In other words, when a human being says, God, I want to live how you want me to live. I want to reflect you back into the creation. It's as though they shine a little bit more of who God is. That's set apart. That's distinctive. That's different. That's sanctified. That you should keep away from this word here is sexual intimacy outside of the design of God. Two people, lasting, long-term, committed marriage place where pleasure and um, uh, uh, production of young people, I was going to say, procreation can actually happen. Place where children can be raised, production line. That each of you should learn to, wait a second, this is interesting. It actually uses the word control. Do you mean I can actually control my desires? I can actually expand my frontal lobe and actually have control over my urges? See, if someone doesn't have self-control in their life, they, they can't walk past the pastry shop. Yeah. If someone doesn't have self-control in their life, they can't save money for a house. If someone doesn't have self-control in their life, they can't actually hold down a job or regulate their emotions. Self-control is a good thing. In fact, sometimes the greatest thing you can do in your life is not to do what you want to do. Who would have thought that might lead to freedom? 
Treat your body in such a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like people who don't have an understanding of God and his design, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. I thought this is fascinating what it says. This whole idea here says, do you know what? Take advantage of. This has got to do with the idea of taking something and sharing in something that wasn't yours to share in. Defraud is the word. In other words, when a follower of Jesus, now wrapped up in an entirely different family of people, says, how should I use my body in interaction with someone of the opposite sex? How should I use that? It uses the word, don't defraud one another. I liken this to someone who's just going to buy a car. They go into the showroom and they jump into the new car with, with their girlfriend or their boyfriend. And, and, and the rule is when you go into a new showroom to see if you're going to test drive a car because you want to know if you're going to buy it, they just say that the one understanding is bring it back in the same condition you left it, right? So you take the car and you drive it out there and you're thinking, hmm, is this a car that I want to buy? Is this a car that feels good for me? Is this a car that connects? And then you can drive it back to them and you go, actually, you know what? I don't think this is. So you get out of the car And let's say someone else jumped in the car with you at the same time. And they looked around and they went, and a new couple got in. They went, well, wait a second. A new person got in. They said, wait a second. This car has got dints all over it. Someone's torn the the, the seats. Someone has has sullied the carpet. Someone has actually dinged the car. I don't want this car. This this was something that I was supposed to enjoy with someone else. That's the kind of language. Both if you're a single or a double or a single again, it's the way it explains it. In fact, I like that because it's kind of like this idea of wanting to honor someone else and say, you know what, this intimacy that can be shared should be shared with someone else in the enclosures of security and trust and faithfulness and that's where it thrives. Well, it was designed according to the manufacturer. And now this is the part, the Lord will punish those who commit. So, okay, here you go again, Troy. You're going to use just scare tactics on us. But no, no, what it's actually trying to say is sometimes people live in the devastation of having sexual engagement with people that actually was unwanted and, and sometimes where they felt cheated. And so they're left to pick up the pieces of their life. No one gets married to get a divorce. In fact, it's one of the most excruciatingly painful things. And yet... Sometimes we live in the consequences of our choices. And one day it says, you're going to also stand before the one you love and who died for you and say, this is how I lived. He's the one who gives his Holy Spirit to you to want to please him in the first place. The truth is, you know what? I find that God can be trusted. And he sent his son to give you life in all of its fullness. The band's going to come up in a moment. In fact, come on up for a sec, Luke. I just want you to play something quietly for me. Because I'd just like us to do some reflection for a moment. Can we all just... I, I, just, I just blabbered for a while then, didn't I? I'm take an inhale and exhale for a moment. Some of you have nodded off to sleep. Just someone give them a little nudge along the way. Because I can't talk about this stuff without... The, the next three stories I tell you are the most important out of this whole morning. Okay? So this same writer, Paul, he writes to a group of people who live in another church location called Corinth. And he writes in his first letter to them, he says, I've actually heard that there's someone amongst you who's actually sleeping with his stepmother. And he says, even the people, the Roman people and the Greek people around about, they go, and he says, I'm staggered because this person thinks that because you come to know Jesus, you don't have to worry about what you do with your body. Uh, sex is just sex, it's just physical. And he goes, if, if they're saying, and I say, why aren't some of you in the community saying, and challenging him? 
So do that. And so then in the next letter that he writes, he hears what happened. He says, I discovered that it was actually a small group of you that were celebrating him and clapping their hands. In fact, the majority of you said, hey, this isn't the way the manufacturer, the designer made this to operate. So he says these lovely words. He says, now what I want you to do is go to him and and embrace him and love him and and, and just kind of bring him back into the community. You know, there's a wonderful word in the Bible that just reeks all the way through it. It's called grace. Just oozes that. Jesus is walking in a wilderness and he comes across a woman who's sitting by herself at the well. (laughs) And he knows that she has had four husbands. And currently the man she's with, she's not married to. If you like, breaking all his rules. And she comes up to her, he comes up to her and he sits down and he talks to her as a human being. Wow. And he says, tell me about your life. And he says, why don't you go and get your husband? I'll talk to him and you together. And she says, I don't have one. He goes, that's right, because the person you're with isn't your husband and you've had actually four husbands. We don't know if she's just been passed from one person to the next or if she was the fault and all that kind of stuff. It's complex. And so... She goes back to the community after experiencing such love and grace from Jesus that she goes to everyone in her village, come and see a man I've just met. Surely he's not God's son, the Messiah. He's told me everything about my life. Now, I can imagine if I was one of those men in the village, I'd go, I don't want to meet that man. (laughs) I do not want to meet that man. Yeah. And then we get another time where some, some men have dragged a woman in front of Jesus who's been caught in the act of adultery. No man, just the woman. Takes two, apparently. There. They say the law says you should stone this woman because she's breaking one of the rules. And he just says, you know what? Anyone here who hasn't had any sin just... You can cast the first stone. I'll watch. Slowly. Older ones first, then the younger ones second. They leave. He looks at this woman and he says, who's here to condemn you? And she says, I guess no one. And he says, so neither do I. But go. Go and sin no more. Compassion. Conviction. Grace. She still had to go back and explain to her husband. The other guy had to explain to his wife. Grace. You see, it seems with Jesus, this is what I love about Jesus. This is what I love about Jesus. He actually sees us for who we are. And believes in where we could be. And opens the door. Wash clean. Fresh starts. New agenda. Yes. That's why I love this passage. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from, I highlighted all, because all means all unrighteousness. Yeah, we have to live with consequences, but in God's agenda, he's not too big for our mess-ups. He just says, ask the question, 
You want to please me? Lindy's going to sing a beautiful, lovely song. And we're just going to invite you now to just as you reflect, I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to invite you to just allow God to speak to you with these questions. And then we'll finish our morning. What is God's spirit impressing upon me right now? Do I want to please God? Because if you don't want to please God, then these things are just some wisdom for you. But if you do, it changes things up. In what areas of my life do I need to become the right person for someone else, for myself, for God? Am I using my body the way God intended? Is there something I need to turn away from and be set free from today? As you hear these words, allow God to speak to you, but would you speak back? And then afterwards, we're going to create some space for prayer for those who would like to receive that.